John Bell is a pastor and musician from Scotland who has compiled scores of songs and hymns over the years as a member of the Iona community. And he says he thinks there were originally 11 commandments. Moses could only manage to squeeze 10 onto the two stone tablets. So the 11th commandment had to wait until the writers of the Psalms could come along and share that additional commandment with us. So any guesses what he says the 11th commandment might be? Something about singing. <laughs> Sing a new song. Sounds like something a church musician would say, right? But he has good scriptural backing for that additional commandment because there is not just one psalm that tells us to do that, to sing a new psalm. It's actually all over the place. There are six different psalms that have that line in them or that theme through them. And we just spoke one of them together this morning, Psalm 98. It's this bold, confident song naming marvelous things that God has done. God has given victory to the people. God has remembered the steadfast love and faithfulness promised to them. God's power will be seen to the ends of the earth. And because God has done such marvelous things, this song summons the whole creation to join in singing along. People with their varied instruments and the sea with its waves, the floods, the hills, the creatures that live on the water and the land, everything and everyone is called to join in singing praise and thanksgiving to God. It's singing along together with the biggest and most varied choir you can imagine. It's a lovely, joyful psalm, but what makes it a Christmas one? We spoke another psalm like it last night. Psalm 96, which is appointed for Christmas Eve, also calls us to sing a new song. So why does the church pull out these particular psalms at Christmas time? What makes Christmas a time for singing a new song? Well, Christmas is certainly a time for singing. That part is easy. All over the world this morning, music is sounding out. Bells are ringing and instruments of all kinds are being played and carols are being sung in homes and in churches. Christmas is a time for music and particularly a time for singing. A quick look through our bulletin today reminds us of just how varied and far-reaching the songs of Christmas are. This morning we are singing a medieval Latin carol, a Scottish song from the 1980s, a 20th century African-American gospel song, a French-Canadian carol from the 17th century, a Japanese carol written by Coco's sister like 40 years ago, something like that. Last night we sang uh, Gloria from Argentina. Tomorrow we'll be singing a song of praise from Tanzania. The songs of Christmas are as many and varied as the places where they're sung. So singing and Christmas go together really well. There's no doubt about that. But sing a new song? This tends to be a time of year when we return to old favorites. Those favorites will be different, of course, depending on where you're from and who you are. But for lots of us, this is a time when we sort of reconnect with time-honored traditions, with songs that we grew up singing, with carols that we've known since we were children. For many of us, a Christmas Eve service without singing Silent Night might not really feel like a Christmas Eve service at all. Woe to the worship planner who leaves that one out. <laughs> and yet the 11th commandment is there today. 
don't only sing the old, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, one of the lanterns just fell down for everybody on the live stream, but we're, no injuries, right? We're okay? Okay. <laughs> don't only sing the old favorites. <laughs> that's, that's the real commandment. Don't sit under a lantern. Yeah, good. Don't sing only the old favorites. Sing a new song. Why? Well, I think one reason for that might be pretty simple. A momentous occasion calls for a new song. Think of the Israelites fleeing from Pharaoh's chariots running for their lives, running away from the bitterness of slavery. The sea parted and made a way for them to pass through, and they reached the other side while the oppressor's army were tossed into the depths. I don't know what they had been singing before back in Egypt, back in slavery, but this moment called for a new song, one suited to this new moment, and Miriam found the words to sing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. This day is special. The people knew it. It calls for a new song. This is a smaller scale, I know, but have you ever been on a journey somewhere, maybe a long trip by car or by plane or maybe hiking up to a mountain peak, and when you finally arrive, you sort of find a song there in your mouth? I'm not necessarily talking about a finely crafted original tune or anything. Maybe just some version of, here we are, we made it, here we are, we made it, something like that. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> There's something about a moment of joy of arrival that calls up singing in us, that calls for melody and rhythm. And Christmas is a time for that. The birth of Jesus is a momentous occasion if ever there was one. It is good news of great joy for all the people, say the angels. Yes, it's a familiar story. Yes, we celebrate it every year. But it is good news, again and again. News that God is with us, that today is full of hope. It's meant to surprise us with joy and raise up not just familiar melodies, but new ones in our grateful hearts. It's a day that calls for a new song year after year. So I think that's one way to understand the command to sing a new song in the psalm that we read today. But Christmas goes even further than that. Today isn't just one more joyful day, or one more arrival or deliverance. It's a day marking a new era. It's a day marking a whole new everything. Nowhere in the Bible is this monumental shift described more profoundly than in the first verses of the Gospel of John, which we heard read just a few minutes ago. Before this gospel launches into describing Jesus' ministry, it begins with this prologue. Those opening verses of the gospel are many things. They're dense theology and lovely poetry and maybe even a kind of song. And they're all focused around the incarnation, the claim that in Jesus, God took on human life. The word has always been there, John says. There with God in the beginning, bringing a world to birth, creating light and life. The word is God's own expression, God's own self, bigger and greater and more majestic than our words can tell. And in Jesus, John says, 
the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. God, the one who dreamed up a world and who made mountains and planets and galaxies, whose presence space and time cannot contain, that God became flesh. That God grew inside a human mother and was born with wispy hair and tiny fingernails and knees that would bleed if they were scratched. The word became flesh. This is not just another victory, John says. It's not just one more happy moment to celebrate. It is the center of everything. It is the great shift in our lives and in our world. Jesuit theologian Karl Rahner writes beautifully about what it means to take the incarnation seriously at Christmas. Now, this is dense theology here, but it is really beautiful. So I want to share some of his words. If in faith we say it is Christmas, in faith that is determined, sober, and above all, courageous, then we mean that an event came bursting into the world and into our life, an event that has changed all that we call the world and our life. God has really become human. And now this world and its very destiny concern God. Now God's self as Jesus is on our very earth, where he is no better off than we, and where he receives no special privileges, but our every fate, hunger, weariness, enmity, mortal terror, and a wretched death, that the infinity of God should take upon itself human narrowness, that bliss should accept the mortal sorrow of the earth, that life should take on death. This is the most unlikely truth, but only this, the obscure light of faith, makes our nights bright. Only this makes them holy. God has come. God is there in the world, and therefore everything is different from what we imagine it to be. When we say it is Christmas, we mean that God has spoken into the world his last, his deepest, his most beautiful word in the incarnate word. And this word means, I love you. You, the world, and human beings. Isn't that beautiful? The incarnate word of Jesus is God's deepest, most beautiful word to the world an unconditional expression of commitment and love. Because God has joined our life, everything is different. Everything is new. So how can we sing the same old tunes as though nothing has changed? God shares our life, so how can we not search for new melodies and new words to give our gratitude rhythm and voice? God is here with us now, today, so how can we not express the freshness and grace of that reality with a fresh verse? How can we not sing a new song? That's why I think we have these 11th commandment psalms at Christmas. Today we remember that everything has changed, that because God has taken on our life, every day is new. So as we sing this Christmas, whether it is a familiar carol you have always known, or a song you've never heard, or a new melody that is just beginning to take shape in you, let's remember the new song we are invited to sing through it all. A song of God's nearness, 
a song of joy and genuine cheer, a song of love without condition, a song of God's reign now begun. It is Christmas, friends. Let's sing. Amen.